0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the student of the game. I am Kyle Nash, the student of the game. And listen, if you're here, chances are you like talking about sport. And we are here to do precisely that this evening. Very interesting event tonight. I am combining my two shows, the student of the game here as you listen to me, as well as the Duval Dive, meaning I have to make the very important note to make sure I mention that we will be on the three-point conversions, iHeartRadio, and spe- Spreaker feeds as well for the Duval dive portion. And I have to say it out loud so I remember to say it later because otherwise my good friend and head of the three-point conversion, Raphael Haynes, will have to remind me again and then I'll be thoroughly embarrassed and, you know, something, something, um, red blush face and just whatever. Anyways, of course, welcome aboard here. Uh, tonight, as we do the thing, uh, very proudly here, also on the Huddle Up YouTube channel. Uh, no, no, no show. Unfortunately, this week due to technical stuff, and I have to admit, I was a little scared there for a minute. Something came up telling me that the stream wasn't working at first there. So I'm glad I managed to escape that. Very sad that I was uh, there was no Huddle Up episode this week. But will we? We shall return. Don't worry about that. Of course, I'm also up on Sir Tobo Media where the struggle is real to be awesome. Um you might have seen my first streaming action on the Pro Sports Fans app as a media caster. So check that out here. As soon by the way, if you check out the Jaguars fan chat, you might just see a little something some tomorrow night. But more on that later. That'll be for the Duval Dive portion of the show. Travis Holmes of course will jump aboard to talk some action for tomorrow night Thursday night's game. Um So if you happen to be listening to this later, there may be some stuff that's a little less, uh, how you say, current, uh, depending on what point you uh, you listen to it. But that'll be specific to the Jaguar content and Thursday night for the Duval dive portion of the program. But don't worry, I'm sure Travis will help me with the rest of the picks. Well, and of course, here shortly, we'll also have my guy, Matt Merschell of the Orlando Sentinel. Not got time to check in and get some intelligent talk about college football. It's been a bit been a bit since we've had Matt in. Got to get realigned and, and recalibrated here a little bit before the playoff committee comes in and starts doing its thing. And hey, listen, so long as we're not talking about Iowa in the top 25, I'll be a happier camper. Good luck with that. Um, you know, well, maybe he can. Maybe Matt Murshel can explain to me why I should be t- taking Penn State more seriously. That'll be one of my several questions for college football for Matt Murshel once he jumps in. However, let me go to this. You know, I I just did the student of the game report on Tuesday with 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 Ernest Ernest Christian and and, and of course we had. Um, an MVP conversation granted, probably a little early to really dive into that, but Hey, I say all that saying in good faith, knowing that two weeks from tonight, precisely I will be talking with my good friend, Mikey, Mikey Bernier, the burn, um, doing superlatives mid-season awards rapidly approaching. That'll be uh, fun stuff there too. By the way, speaking of simulcasts, look out next week, the student of the game report of earnestly speaking podcast will be here in this spot tonight. Next week, so look for that. Uh, I have to do a magical trick where I'm going to be in two places at once. As the Orlando Magic will have their season opener, uh, hosting the Rockets, I will be there for that. So, nonetheless, there will be a show next week. It just might be a pre-recorded action there, and it'll be the student the game report that I normally do with Ernest Christian here in this slot. So, look out for that. Hey, got to find a way to get EJ Christian on this show sometime. Um, That's what we'll do there. But this is. This is me just taking a quick aside, appealing to my media brethren. And, and I hope I don't sound too goofy to Matt Marshall, who's in the digital green room waiting to come in here very shortly. Um, but, guys, girls, ladies, fellow football analysts and enthusiasts, okay? Today, t- this, right now, today, it's looking to me like this is the year. To not pick a quarterback to be an NFL MVP. Hear me out. Hear me out. I know. I know. I know. But it's so, but they touch the ball in every play and they're just so gosh darn important. I know. I, I understand all of the above. But there are too many players that are making impacts away from that, that are carrying that quarterback's performance or making their lives look that much more easy. And listen, I'm a 49er fan, I'm a Brock Purdy guy. But please tell me how in the world one Christian McCaffrey doesn't get MVP consideration over Brock Purdy. Now, I know you're not going to do anything silly like give it to Trent Williams, and nobody wants to talk about how suddenly uh, Brock Purdy's small hands were an issue in that weather game against the Browns, and maybe there's some, you know, official assistance, you'll pardon the expression, but I want to blame it on that even as a 49er fan. Like, that team has way too many Pro Bowl caliber individuals specifically devoted to the success of Brock Purdy that I can't make Brock Purdy an MVP candidate. I said it. Christian McCaffrey there, too, an example of a non-quarterback addition. You don't like that? How about we keep it local here to my state of Florida? I've actually had people giving me free to advice and making him an MVP candidate. No, I can't sign off on that either. We've, we've Listen, I've mentioned the stats on this show. Tua Dugavailoa has the fastest release. His ball is the furthest in the air per pass, or at least that was two, three weeks ago or something like that. I have to be honest. I'm not up on my fastest quarterback release numbers this week. My bad. I'm just a lazy student of the game this week, perhaps. But don't anybody tell me that my guy Tyreek Hill isn't the reason for that. This guy is on pace to break a 1,000 receiving yards within the first half of the season. Now, I think it's got to be something silly that happens, like he's got to average 186 yards in the next two weeks. And I know that's a tall order and a high bar, but let's be honest, people. No one's prepared to thoroughly rule that out either. Now, will I think that'll happen? No, but are you taking a 2,000-yard receiving season off the table from Tyreek Hill? No, you are not. And the only reason that may not happen is because Jay Waddle's on the other side, perhaps. I, I can argue that. But at the end of the day, try to convince me that Tua was life and numbers aren't made easier by the existence of Tyreek Hill. You can't do it. And I think I said it on Tuesday that my third, my third ranked MVP for consideration was one Patrick LeVon Mahomes II. Yeah, I know it's kind of a cop-out, but If you want to pick a quarterback to be considered, it's him and it's probably Josh Allen at this point, though I can see why you wouldn't put him in place. I've even heard some whispers of Jared Goff, but don't tell me at this point in the season, and I know it's still entirely too early, but folks if the consistency of this kind of a performance from non quarterback players can maintain especially considering other guys who we might we were talking about that were on that kind of a pace right nick chubb and justin jefferson both on the shelf were guys that were performing like this and now they they are uh, unfortunately unable to complete the season question right the fact that if this kind of performance can be maintained throughout an entire season. Just the act of having the wherewithal or call it dumb luck for my Harry Potter fans, five points for Gryffindor for just dumb luck. If you make it through all 17 games of the season and can maintain a performance like that over a quarterback who has literally five dudes, 300 pounds plus uh, who sole job is to protect him from harm. You got to really consider that I, I call it a plea. It's less of an intro and more just a begging of the media world who has MVP votes in the NFL. Please, please don't just lean on it. Being a quarterback. I know you all have busy lives and it's really hard to cover a team closely. It's really hard to cover a league closely as your career. I appreciate all of that, but keep your minds open. I beg you now. With the themes of open mind coming in here. I always have some individual who come in to school me a bit to get my mind right to talk about college football. And I have I'm hopeful he can open my mind to some topics so I don't say so bitter on them. I'll be blunt about that. Of course, that man, that wisdom comes from the Orlando Sentinel National College football writer, Matt Mershell. What's going on, my man? Let's see, Matt, you're on mute. Oh, sorry. Yeah. You
1: think by this time I, I would figure all this out? I was gonna say not much. How are you doing tonight, Kyle?
0: Hey, man, I'm 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 good. Like, and you'll I'll, you'll have to forgive the crack in my voice as I realize you're on mute. Uh, my buddy's show, Jim Nees had his show. Uh, on Streamyard, not happened because of technical issues. So I did sk- Listen, I'm under three hundred. That doesn't mean I need that kind of heart trouble. So thank you for helping me find the mute. There. That was good.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's been a, it's been a it's been one of those kind of weeks for me. So that's that's just a shock me that happened. But it's a, uh, you know, it's a busy week. Uh, and obviously, a lot going on. And uh, but we're looking forward to it. looking for all all the college football this weekend.
0: Oh yeah, hey, listen, life in October for sports fans in general football is in in full swing in two different venues. I mean, for those people that follow the stickball, baseball's in their playoffs, I hear. Mm -hmm. And um, the uh, uh, NBA tipping off there, too. I'll be in the building in Orlando with the Rockets in town um, with uh, your your mate as well there, Jason Beatty. I'll get to see Beads for the first time in a while, and I'm stoked I didn't call him Justin by accident again. So that's a good Uh thing too. But um, listen, uh, enough about me getting names wrong. This is how I know that you've been on the show often and I respect you. I don't have to check to spell Michelle correctly anymore. So I got that going for me.
1: No, <laughs> so, it looks good. A uh, great job. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so with all that in mind, sir, I, I got to get in. And 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 I, I mentioned heart trouble. Um, we got to do the required Deion Sanders talk. And apparently everybody in the nation has to bring up for at least a while What that Stanford loss has to be a big one, um, for for them, absolutely. He admits to maybe relying a little too much on Travis Hunter, credit to him for doing that. Mm -hmm. But I'll ask you the question that sort of popped up Do you think that kills um bull eligibility, um, likely for the Colorado Buffalo?
1: I I think it makes it a lot more difficult, let's put it that way. I mean, you know, listen, they've got a, a brutal schedule the remainder of the way. Uh, they're facing a lot of the, the best of the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is having an outstanding year. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it, six or seven teams ranked in the top 25? Um, it's going to be a challenge. And 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 I've said this from the start. I mean, I, I, I think it's a good story. I think Colorado Dion's story is a good story this year. Um, it's a great storyline to have going on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is a team that's flawed. I mean, it's a young team, and it's a, young, it's a team that's flawed. And, you know, their offensive line has, play has been horrible this year. Um, you know, they, they haven't won the football at all. Uh, they're kind of one dimensional as a team and defensively, you know, they rely too much sometimes on, on, on trying to get those big turnovers. And, you know, you saw Stanford basically do what Baylor did at UCF a few weeks ago. You know, they, they just came, they hung in the game and they found a way to kind of come back and take advantage of mistakes and eventually got themselves in the game. And and, and it's when that happens, sometimes it's hard to come back. And and I, I think the challenge for Colorado this week is is going to be, okay, how do you respond? You know, much like, UCF did uh, against Kansas or much like, you know, you saw Miami for instance, and, and against North Carolina when they're, when they're snafu, how does your team respond? I mean, do you get them up and, and then go out and replay or, or is, it's going to be a challenge. And especially with a young team that he has a lot of transfers, he's got a lot of players that so this is our first year playing together. Um, it's, it's trying to really, that's where Dion, the coach takes over is how do you get these guys up and say, okay, put that aside, forget about it. Let's move forward and, and, and try to get some games. Cause they're, if you're going to try to be bowl eligible, you're going to have to you're going to have to play two pretty perfect games against some
0: good teams in the next couple weeks. Right, I, I think Arizona is the most attain, attainable, mm-hmm. but like of the five, uh, of the other four remaining, it's UCLA, Oregon State, Washington mm-hmm. State, and Utah. Um, none of them are easy outs. I mean, me because I I don't know what it is, Matt. Throughout the early part of the year, I always kind of felt like the um, that the Cougars of Washington State. I don't want to call them frauds. I've used that word, but that could be a bit strong. I, I just among the Pac-12 teams that are performing higher and and as expected or unexpected, depending on your point of view. I kind of feel like they're the ones that have the least potential to me in, in my mind. Um, but I'm not gonna. I'll put. I'm not gonna ask you the saucy question there. I'm gonna ask you this: after um, Michael Penix. Nixed Bow in what was clearly the game of the week, um, in Oregon. There, I had to make the Bow Nix dad joke. You know me by now, man. But, um, w- with that in mind, I also see FSU still ranked ahead of them. I don't know if you voted this way. I'm not asking you to tell me if you did, but as somebody who has a top 25 vote, please help me make that make sense because I can't do it. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I think, you
1: know, you look at how Florida State has played, you look at the level of competition right now. I mean, again, you know, they're, they're, they they came off a win of, of a Syracuse team that, you know, was 4-2, uh, you know, that they should have beaten handily, and they did. They, that's the probably the best game Florida State has, has, has played so far this season. Complete game, let's put it that way, in a sense of, like, start to finish. Um, you know, Washington, Washington is right there. You know, I mean, again, I, I think – you know, if you think about the Washington-Oregon game, if Oregon hits that field goal at the very end, which they should have they should have completed, we don't know what would happen. You know, maybe Oregon comes back to win. Maybe Washington comes back to win. Um, so that's kind of, I think, where why you think you saw Washington land where they land. I also think there's probably a little bit of East Coast bias. I mean, I think there's some voters on the East Coast who probably look at some of those Pac-12 teams and think, okay, you know, they're going to end up knocking each other out, you know, eventually down the road. They're, they're nowhere near as good. That being said, I think Washington is, is probably the best chance that the Pac-12 has of getting a team in the playoff. I think Michael Penix is probably going into my mind is is the top Heisman Trophy candidate, you know, right now based on his performance. Um, you could say what you will about Caleb Williams. I thought Caleb Williams against Notre Dame was probably the most pedestrian he's looked um, in, in his career. So it's 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 you know it's a challenge, and I think that's where Washington's going to have to keep fighting and keep winning these games. To, to prove that they, they deserve to get there. Now it's gonna be tough this week because Florida State plays a, a ranked Duke team. And, you know, if they beat Duke, you know, they're they're probably gonna move, you know, stay where they're at or maybe move up, depending on what happens with, you know, Ohio State and Penn State. So it's gonna be a challenge. And I think that's what the Pac 12 has has had over the last three or four years is trying to impress, you know, voters enough to, to get themselves in the position they are in.
0: Well, and I think an element of this is why the Pac-12 are part of why the Pac-12 was led to disband, right? Like you mentioned, the 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 East Coast bias being a thing. Listen, I I've I've talked about that as long as I've been podcasting, even going back to the previous edition of the Student of the Game Pod that went for ten years. So, like I I I get that, but it's hitting me even more real. Follow me on this, Matt. Right, as 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 somebody who covers games. Um, at the extent that you do, and somebody has the audacity to throw a 10 p.m. kick up there, I mean, it's just, listen, you're not doing yourself any favors. And I, yeah. I great, I know the schools don't control that. It's the TV that does. But as the Pac 12 gets more ingrained into some of these more Easterly conferences, you kind of feel like that'll pull them in to the mix a little bit better. So the, these kind of overlookings of, uh, uh, of a Florida state. Taking on an ACC, which you know I'm well critical of, compared to another powerhouse Pac-12 team in a lightsaber duel that would be better than anything these whiny Star Wars fanboys have seen lately. Like that, the fact that's getting annoyed is frustrating. You have to think, right? Yeah, and I mean that's why it's going to be interesting next year when you know
1: USC and UCLA and Washington and Oregon are in the Big Ten. Yeah, because the Big Ten is going to want to push for a lot of these games. You know, for those noon kicks, those noon uh, TV spots, the noon and 3.30 s- uh, slots. They're going to want to have those games showcased there. And, you know, so you're going to have a lot of these West Coast teams now, all of a sudden, they're going to be kicking off at 9 o'clock in the morning on their on, on, on local time mm-hmm. to be able to have that opportunity. But it's going to be huge for them because, again, you're not going to be sitting around at 10, 11 o'clock at night going, boy, I, I can't wait for that Pac-12 after dark, you know, where no one's going to be watching. And, you know, it really has hampered them in the, the past, you know, decade or so. Think about the Heisman race. I mean, they've had some great players out there, but a lot of people on the East Coast, a lot of voters especially, aren't watching those games. They're just picking up highlights the next morning because, okay, that's fine. Look, he had a great performance. We'll see what happens. So it's tough. That's why the SEC does so well. I mean, listen, there's no doubt that, you know, noon kick for the SEC game, Against guess Alabama and an Auburn, let's say, that does a lot better than than a Pac-12 showdown at 10 o'clock at night. You know, you're going to always get those those eyes. So it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of changes next year. And I think it's going to give them a big boost no matter what. And, again, I think once the Pac-12 starts to – you start seeing some of these teams step up, you're really going to see how maybe some of that separation. You know, I mean, USC being beat by Notre Dame this weekend didn't help their cause. You know, but, again, Washington continue to play the way that they are, I think will help them in, in the long run.
0: Yeah, well, and and, and let, let me go. Let me reach back to another little tidbit you dropped there. Of course, Caleb Williams. I mean, it, it, I I think it's funny. I've, I as much as I accuse Joel Klatt of being a West Coast homer, and and as much as he's defended USC's uh, defense and and the effort to improve by Lincoln Riley, um, him making the statement that the defense had so little to do with the loss and Link, uh, not Lincoln Riley. Sorry, Caleb Williams having so many turnovers, um, two of them immediately turning into scores for Notre Dame. It it, it feels like this is just, listen, Caleb Williams has been balling for, what, 18 months with with great talent? Is this a situation where, listen, I'm asked to carry this program every week. I had one bad week against another up-and-coming group that, you know, had the target on our backs not taking away from Notre Dame. They they are playing in what I would argue is their toughest uh, schedule in, what, half a decade, Matt? And they're doing a pretty good job. Coach Freeman's looking good. He may get the team to 10 wins. They're on pace for that possibility, all of that. But do you feel like this is a single-game anomaly for Caleb Williams? Like, I don't feel like he's been solved. He just had a bad game, right? Well, yeah, I think he's had a bad game. But listen,
1: I mean, this is what's the symptom of Lincoln Riley's teams. I mean, going back to Oklahoma, I mean, essentially... He had to build an offense that could outscore the team they're facing every week because their defense wasn't very good and their defense would have problems. It's the reason why Oklahoma struggled to get in the playoff, you know, every year, because, you know, there would be a game where all of a sudden they would get into a shootout and it'd be 45 to 42. And you'd have to hope that Caleb Williams had a great game, you know, to carry you, you know, to that point. Whereas your defense wasn't helping you out. And Again, I I think there's going to be, I think, until they make that decision, until Lincoln-Riley decides, I've got to change defensive coordinators. I've got to make a concerted effort to get a, a good defense. I just don't think USC is, is a playoff potential team. I mean, I, you can only ask Caleb Williams to do so much. And eventually what happens is teams start to figure out guys. And that's what Notre Dame did. They said, listen, we're going to we're gonna come blitz you. We're going to throw different looks at you. We're going to make you uncomfortable. And he was. And he threw those picks. And then Notre Dame was able to convert those into points. Listen, when they go play, USC goes, plays, you know, Oregon or Utah this week, for instance. Utah's going to take advantage of that. That's what Utah did last year. They did that perfectly twice against Caleb Williams. So that's where I think Caleb is starting to get a little bit frustrated with this idea of, okay, I've done everything you asked me to do. At some point, the defense has got to step up and make some plays. you got to shut some teams down, and we'll see what happens. Imagine – USC with like Oregon's defense, for instance. I mean, if they could stop some people, you know, I think they would they would be bigger blowouts, and I think they would be higher ranked. But you know, again, you can only ask Caleb Williams to do so much. Now, do I think he's out of the Heisman race? No. I mean, I I think I think he'll have put up big numbers. I mean, that's just Lincoln Riley's you know system and a bet, and 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 Caleb has has used it really well. So he'll be there. But again, another bad performance or something like that will knock him really off, off farther down and and eventually this is why it's so hard for a player to win back-to-back Heisman's in, in the history of, of, of the sport because it's just you almost have to be perfect the second time around because voters aren't going to give you the benefit of the doubt they're going to say okay we want to it to you once if you're not perfect this time around we're going to find someone else to give it to
0: right and they usually like well and the other thing too is it's not just that aspect to it Matt like let's say you do as good and this is the we talked about this earlier. You might remember, I had mentioned Michael Penix being a dark horse. If, like, if there's a guy that's going to be the number two, I, I thought it was going to be him. And then he made me look really smart this past weekend. No disrespect to Bo Nix. I just like making that Nixing Bo pun, it it, it, it flows. But, um, it, listen, the with, with I had th- thought naturally that with ne- Lincoln Riley allegedly doing as much as he did on defense, I thought his nat- uh, Caleb Williams' numbers were going to take a natural degression, and that would be enough to kind of get Michael Penix in there. I never foresaw, hey, here's 20 points against Notre Dame. So, I I mean, I think that's why it looks bad is because it came at his hands like that. He, he didn't lose that shootout that people would have expected. I, I, I think that, that definitely matches it. And I know I'm saying some of the same things you did, but I also needed an opportunity to take our victory lap that we acknowledged Michael Penix as a factor back in August and September. So there's that. <laughs> um, with that in mind, um, let me go to. The, well, you mentioned Lincoln Riley. Let me touch on this because because you, you know a lot about this um, in general more than I do. You've had the opportunity to move in some circles and to talk to some people. Is it, what we're seeing with USC. Or even Colorado, kind of the downside of trying to attack the portal. Now, meaning now with Dion in particular, because he had to rebuild through the portal the way that he did, um, the best talents have to maybe do a little extra, and maybe he has to suffer in some places, like his son being in harm's way because Shador Sanders is constantly behind a weaker offensive line kind of like Caleb Williams offensive line took a step back. Travis Hunter is getting exhausted because he has to play both sides because he doesn't have quite enough talent to do what that kid can do on both sides. It, it, are we looking at what is kind of the result of for lack of a better word mercenary action uh, through the Nil? is that part of it? Well I mean I think yeah,
1: for for Colorado's sake, I, I think very much so. I mean you know when you when you hit the portal, you know you have to have some sort of foundation to start with you Know whether it's players who came back or whether you've got younger guys or whatever. Look at look at Florida State's a good example of this. When Mike Norvell took over, I mean, he had somewhat of a foundation that was there, but then he brought in all these transfers, he brought in some people, kids he recruited, and he kind of built off of that. And he was able to kind of, you know, take them those steps. That's kind of what's and the same thing in Colorado. I mean, Dion basically jettisoned the majority of the team. And and what was left, or I always say he jettisoned them. They, you know, players decided to leave and all that other stuff, but you know now you're bringing all these players,
0: that, but I saw the speech too, Matt. Jettison's a fine,
1: yes, Jettison's word. probably, right. but <laughs> you look at the players he brought in, and, and it, it's hard, it's hard to get 40, 50, 60 kids together on the same page, especially if you're just depending on where you've come from and where you've been at and what your, your goal is when you get there. And you know, I mean, it's it's hard to get everyone on the same page, so you could go out and have that success. Um, normally, I think where the transfer portal works best is when you're a coach who's looking for an experienced player, I need a 22 year old offensive lineman who started 30 games in his career. He's going to step right in and fill fill a spot. And not, I'm not going to have to teach him a single thing, basically, except for maybe some of the, the schematics that we're doing. That's what the transfer portal works out best. I bringing in a quarterback who's had five years of experience or four years of experience, he's going to step right in and play. And I don't have to like, I don't have to really baby him at all. But when you got 40 or 50 guys coming in, it's a little different you know, all of a sudden you're like okay now who am i bringing in what's going to happen what are you going to do so i think that's what the struggle for, for for colorado has been i mean it's it's hard to get everyone on the same page and i think even usc's experienced that a little bit too it's it's yeah. hard to go get an offensive line to make sure they're all on the same page ucf has been able to do that let's you we're know, closer to home i mean they brought in some offensive linemen that were basically guys who were in their 22 you know 21 22 23 year range and you bring them in with the idea of, I need you to step in and fill this hole up because we don't have enough talent either recruited wise or whatever that we're going to be able to do that. So it's a challenge. And I, I think that's what Colorado's experienced a little bit of this. I think it'll get better for Dion again, because some of those players will, will be another year. they will be a year in the system. They'll get better, stronger, faster. Um, USC is the same way. USC's problem to me is, is more just like I said, is, is a defensive schematic play. I mean, right. they just aren't playing up to their potential. They have enough talent on that team. You should be able to play a better defense. They're not playing at that level. And again, some of that is also portal. Maybe you're not going after the guys in the portal you should be going after that could step in and be that solid, you know, secondary cornerback, safety, nickel guy who can make a play that you need to be made late in the game. Maybe you're not going after that because your focus is on offense. Maybe you're going off the transfer portal to get, you know, more receivers, more running backs, more whatever that's where maybe some of that emphasis needs to be kind of switched a little bit, but that's what happens when you've got a coach who's both those guys are offense. Well, Lincoln's an offensive minded coach. Dion's got defense in his blood, but again, you, you also understand how things are going. So it, it, it depends also links a little bit on the coaching staff as well.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I think the point has been made uh, by others and very well by you here about Lincoln Riley's struggles. I mean, it's very interesting that uh, uh, coach Vanderbilt there in Oklahoma Seems to suddenly have defense a little bit more figured out. Is that all it took? Was a couple years out of Lincoln Riley's grasp there? I, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe that and having Dylan Gabriel healthy and actually seeing him throw a game winning touchdown, a very new experience, depending on your fanhood, for example. No, I'm not throwing shots. I'm just stating facts. But, um, no, see, it, it, it's, it's, I like too that you cite, um, ucf in there because first of all for one i have to quote jeff sharon of uh the black and gold Banneret saying that the portal giveth and it taketh away and sometimes it doesn't giveth the right thing either right sometimes there are some transfers that are touted and just don't lock in um but but i like that you cite ucf's Mm -hmm. offensive line i forget the award consideration that they're being acknowledged for as an offensive Moore.
1: Joe Moore Award, which is like top for for offensive line, and and I know a lot of, some of UCF fans were kind of surprised by that, but it, I mean they 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 got it because you know are mentioned as one of the twenty three teams because you know again they, they're they're together they're playing together and and um I, if they didn't have some injuries I you know, who knows what this offensive line might be might be at at this point but um it's difficult but you're right about the take it and you know give it the take it away. I mean even UCF going back to you know to you know you look at their some of their transfer uh you know people they brought in on transfer portal not all of them have been successful and and you know again you live you live with that and you wait and see what happens and some cases you're just bringing in a body and that person is just going to be a depth person on the depth chart who's going to help out when you need someone on special teams so it it just depends on what you're you're looking for.
0: or sometimes you lose a jeremiah jean baptiste as your linebackers get worked in the run game in the big 12 Uh, not mentioning any specific examples But that's a specific example. No, yeah. um, yeah, and, and for all those that wonder about the offensive line, you really think that R.J. Harvey has been continuously getting, uh, top performance running games by osmosis? No, uh, that, yeah, give 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 the fat guys credit. Forgive my bias. I'll show my credentials again with the painting, um, from um, from Aaron Evans. There. I mean, it doesn't get more any more offensive linemen than that, does it? Anyways, um. So, here's the here's the here's the big thing I really needed uh, needed you to come in with because you heard you heard you, my intro bringing you into the room, calling for an open mind, sir. I am going to practice what I preach. I'm at, I, I'm trying to keep an open mind. Somebody needs to convince me why I need to be worried about Penn State as an actual playoff threat because I am not. Help me find it. I mean, they're,
1: they've played a lot better than they have played in, in the last couple of years. I think this is a more complete Penn State team. Um, the, the problem is they, when they get to face Ohio State, they just they 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 they, they can't get the things to work well. <laughs> you know, I think what is James Franklin one and eight against Ohio State? Um, you know they he has a really problem against the the Buckeyes. This is going to be his best chance. I mean, I have not. I mean, I, I'm not an Ohio State believer this sure. year. I mean, I I think they have some issues. I think that Ryan Day the idea that Ryan days used pulling the us versus them card on a team that's been in the playoffs, what the last five or the last six years. I mean, you know, that, that, that just tells me that he feels like this team needs a little bigger boost. Um, they're playing better. Ohio state is, but you know, so Penn state's got a chance. I mean, you know, but, but the problem is they're going on the road, they're at the shoe. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge for them. But if, if they pull off the upset of Ohio state, then all of a sudden things change dramatically in the big 10. Because Michigan now is either the you know it's still the favorite, but now Penn State's got to face Michigan down the road, and that that could change very much what what happens in that in that race. Um, so I, I need to see more out of Penn State. I mean their their schedule has been okay. I mean they beat Iowa. I mean in Iowa's, you know what? If you get you get eight points, you beat Iowa every week. So I mean it's just that's how bad Iowa is. So um, I think that I need to see more out of them before I would put them in like the, they're a playoff contending team. But they are playing better this year than they have played in the last couple years. More complete team, I think.
0: Well, and and I, I guess I guess my I uh, you said a lot of stuff there that I absolutely agree with. I guess I'm veiling my actual gripe. <laughs> Penn State at seven makes sense to you because it doesn't to me.
1: No, I don't. I think seven's a little a little much. I mean, I, I again, oh. I'm I'm I mean, I would think maybe a little farther down, but. You know, again, a lot of this is you know voters look at conferences, they look at how strong the Big Ten is, especially the East. You know, I mean, with with Michigan and Ohio State, um, you know, and 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 that's why you get a little bit of a of a push there. Uh, you know, it's the same reason why the SEC gets three or four you know teams up and higher up in the, in the top ten, depending on what's going on. Um, Alabama always seems to find its way. Alabama's got a loss, and Alabama seems to always finds its way back up in the top. You know, really quickly. Um, and they're a team that's flawed this year as well. So um, I think it just depends on where people feel like they' they're the strongest. Uh, yeah. And I,
2: I mean I, and I'm
1: probably part of that, you know I mean when I look at Penn State sometimes, you, know, you think, okay, they're, they're, they're playing good, they're playing good football. they just haven't played anybody yet. Let's see what happens. Um, and, and, and look at Georgia. I mean Georgias the number one and there are a lot of people now who are wondering whether or not Georgia should be fourth. You know, I mean, that 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 maybe they're they're not the number one team in the country, you know, but because they've been number one and no one's beat them, they probably will stay in that number one spot and receive those first place votes.
0: Right. And and, and no, and I've contended Michigan over Georgia. I mean, for me, for, for 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 my money, like at that point, it's just really down the line, you know, in December we're deciding which team they play in the playoff before they potentially face each other for a championship. Right? Like that, that's the one that, that, that I find, you know, kind of interesting where I get worried with Penn state is in a year where let's say the PAC 12 is amazing and should probably deserve to send two teams. If something crazy like Oregon and um, Oregon and Washington have the opportunity to rematch, let's say, in the conference championship, and Oregon and Bo Nix's um, Pennix, yeah, that works both ways. Um, you know, like if, if that happens that way, like why wouldn't, why shouldn't we get two Pac-12 teams over a Penn State who might have, you know, kind of lucked their way into um, winning a Big Ten? And and I, I don't think that'll happen. too. granted, no. in order to win the Big Ten, they'd have to beat Michigan. That's a lot different conversation. Uh, you know, I don't have the perfect example, but. I'll put it this way: You gave me an answer that feeds my ego very nicely. You confirmed a lot of what I felt, and I feel good about that, Matt Murphel. It's always a nice thing. You put a smile I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this too. I'm, I'm a big
1: believer in Michigan, and I, I think that that Michigan's sneaky good. Like no one's talking about Michigan. I mean, outside of Ann Arbor, no one's talking about. It. I mean, they're number two team in the country, but no one is really going. Man, Michigan is dominant because Michigan hasn't played anybody. You know, like hasn't played that big game yet where. You know, oh, my gosh. But I think they're, they've are they got – this is a good year for Jim Harbaugh. I think he's been very quiet, except for being suspended for the first four games. He's been very <laughs> quiet. Um, and this team has run the ball well. J.J. McCarthy's flown the ball really well, too, as well. Their offense has been humming, and their defense has played well. So this is a Michigan team right now that no one's talking about, and that makes you scary – that almost makes you scary good that, you know, at some point when they really get into their schedule and play some of the Penn State's and the Ohio State's, that they're gonna look good doing it. And I, and I think they got a big chip on their shoulder after what happened in the TCU game last year. So I think that's a team that I'm 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 circled in like, okay, this is a team I, I could see getting there and and how they could probably get to the championship game again.
0: I mean, yeah, there's definitely that element and I, I would I would wonder if 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 Harbaugh feels this way himself. And I say this as a Harbaugh guy, by mm-hmm. the way, all the insanity of early in his tenure there with the Wolverines, they're talking about, you know, oh, we should fire him. Dummies, but um, you know, you know how fans are, short for fanatic, okay. blah blah blah. But uh, I feel like if he doesn't get at least to the national championship game, and unless the opponent is Georgia, which the argument can right. be made, he should still win that game. Yeah, I'll just say if he doesn't get the national championship this year, barring some injury catastrophe or anything like that, you, you would have to think Harbaugh, among others, would, would consider that a disappointment with how they're performing,
1: right? Yeah, I, I would think so. I, I think considering how they were last year and then and, and then you know getting this year how they've played so far and um you know that you would think they would they they deserve to get them. now, you know, they're still talking about him in the school, is still working out, hammering out a, a deal. Mm-hmm. Um I think they would love to get him locked in for a while a little longer. Um, but I think you're always gonna get every in the offseason. If if they win, if he wins a title, there's <laughs> gonna be a lot of attraction for him for the NFL. There's gonna be a lot of pull. A lot of teams are going to want to get, bring in a guy like Jim Harbaugh and see what he can do back in the NFL. So it's going to be tough for Michigan to try to have that happen. But if he falls short again, it's going to be disappointing. What happens? Does he come back? How do you, how do you, you handle that? So it's, it's it's going to be kind of – an but it's a conundrum that a lot of teams would trade in the heartbeat to have is to be talking about getting to the title game and what's going to happen next.
0: The infamous good problem to have, Matt Merchelle, I yes. agree with you 100%. Yes. Last one before I let you jump here and you can get back to doing what you do so well. Um, Marvin Harrison jr, top three Heisman prospect. yes or no? yeah, I think so. I, I, but
1: but you know receivers are so tough to win the Heisman. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you have to have not only an outstanding year as a receiver, generally you have to do other things. You have to be a returner, you have to be you know you have to kick returns, you have to do something else to kind of stand out. You know, because when you look at the offensive systems that we that are run right now, it's always going to be quarterbacks, you know, and, and very once in a while you get a running back because someone has a big year, but it's usually quarterbacks because they put up big numbers. Right. Um so for, for a receiver, you have to almost do something special. I mean, you think about um, you know, guys who won, you know, like uh Desmond Howard, who won, you know, that like as a receiver. You know, Desmond did other things. desmond returned punts and did some other thing, you know, I mean, and that's kind of where he was a, a major factor. Tim Brown. When he won the Heisman for Notre Dame, he was also their putt and kick returner. He had, what, three or four touchdowns that were the year he won it uh, on on returns. So you almost have to do something extra special to to be, you know, like, to, to stand out. It's difficult. And I think it's not a flashy position that a lot of people sometimes love to, love to like, you know, vote on. They'd rather see, like, a guy who puts, you know, 30, 40, 50 touchdowns on the board. Sure. Or a guy who maybe has, you know, 12, 15, something like that.
0: Hear me out, though. Here's mm-hmm. here's the star- story aspect that he has handled that he's uniquely qualified to have as an Ohio State player, right? Now, granted, not guaranteeing these things happen, but mm-hmm. for one, there's the storyline of C.J. Stroud is gone and he still does amazing things. I yeah. think that should count for something. And mm-hmm. two, if they beat Michigan, mm-hmm. you got to think that's going to get some people's attention and that game happens late enough in the year, it'll stick in people's craw. Is that, yeah. a, is that a nutty theory? I, I don't think you No, say- no, no. I mean,
1: it's, it's a good theory, but I mean, I, and I'll say this too. He's also benefits from the fact that let's say Penix is still the leader in the clubhouse. And then, and then the last three weeks of the season, you know, he's, they've got to play, you know, whatever, you know, their schedule gets tough and he, he loses a game I and mean, he plays badly in one game and loses a game that could drop you out all yeah. of a sudden, yeah. just like in any quarterback, you know, all it all takes is one game to have, you know, where you, you lose a game and you throw a couple picks and all of a sudden you fall out of that list. And if you're, like you mentioned, you're Marvin Harrison, you, you all of a sudden you find your way in that top of that group. You've got to have outstanding games. He needs a big game against Penn state this weekend. He's oh, yeah. a big game against Michigan. He needs big performances in, in, in the spotlight for Heisman for people to be like, Oh, okay. He's, he's there. Cause like I said, it's, it's just really tough. That's why defensive players rarely win the Heisman because it's, it's such a – it's not a week-in and week-out thing. I mean, it's hard for a defensive player to have, you know, an interception every week or, you know, two or three sacks every week. I mean, it's just so difficult for that to happen. And I think we're so ingrained to want to go with quarterbacks as, as the you know the Heisman winner. But I would love to – I've always said this for years. I'd love to see other people win the award. I mean, it would be great to see guys who, you know, have outstanding performances that do that. And, and a dynamic – Harrison is a dynamic player, much like a Tim Brown, and, and a desmond howard a guy who could change a game uh in a few plays
0: well i'll say this if indomit sue couldn't get the heisman when he had his final year single-handedly getting his team to a bowl game mm-hmm. and winning that beast if i remember correctly um i don't think anyone will and i'll leave it at that pardon my big man bias matt merschel tell the world where you can be found uh you can uh you can check me out at orlando sentinel.com
1: i uh, you can go on to Twitter or X or whatever it's called now and find <laughs> me at OS Matt Michelle. I've got lots of stuff. Uh, Oklahoma UCF game this week. I talked to Dylan Gabriel this morning, hey. um, did a, got a story running tomorrow morning on my discussion about his legacy at UCF and kind of how he's, he's looking at this weekend's game against the Knights.
0: Did you wear some nice socks for that meeting?
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> so I I gotta everyone, believe me, everyone has thrown that at me today, but I Dylan was very gracious and I appreciate this time. And he was sure. listen, he's he is looking forward to um, you know, he he's not shying away. I mean, he want, you know, he but he has nothing but re- utter respect for this time at UCF. And he hopes the fans, you know, you know, see him that way as well. What he what he tried to do at UCF. He he understands that obviously transferring out was a difficult decision but he felt like it was the best decision at the time so it's it's tough man and we were trying to we were talking about this on the phone we couldn't think of any other time where a starting quarterback has played against his team you know like a starter leaves transfers and then comes back and play and plays as a starter against that team we couldn't think of anyone else at the college level that that happened so it's, it's kind of an interesting kind of storyline this weekend going into saturday
0: interesting well and listen for all the for all the stuff i i I have been critical of dylan gabriel the fact that he talked to you does show a ton of class i'll definitely offer that up a hundred percent um but yeah go check that out with the sentinel written by my guy matt burchell um good work as always man um i will see you soon i don't know when exactly yeah Um, you're pretty busy you're keeping busy man i mean i know i haven't seen you
1: ever you know we i think what there's a Sunday night availability if UCF, depending on what happens this weekend, and then maybe next week going into the West Virginia home game, we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, no, those – hey, listen, day job stuff has kicked my butt, so you haven't seen me at the weeklies either lately, but hopefully I can fix that sooner than later, Matt Merchell. But, hey, listen, it'll be soon, sooner than later, I know that because football. What better yep. reason than that, my friend? <laughs> you take care,
1: Matt. All right, Matt. Talk to you later
0: always fun to talk to a great football mind like Matt Marshall to jump in to do the thing. But speaking of great football minds, I don't need to go into an intro where I wax poetic about how cool a guy is, even though my nickname for the ne- my next guest is Champion. Like this is far more appropriate to bring him aboard. I'll go ahead and let the world see him jam hey. doing his thing as we start off hey. the Duval Dive portion
2: hey. of
0: the episode here. The Simulcast, student of the game.
2: Let's Duval
0: go. Dive here going right now as I bring in Big Cat Country Zone Travis Holmes. And of course, for those who don't remember, I'm Kyle Nash, the student of the game of the Jaguar Report. And make sure to acknowledge that the three point conversion iHeartRadio channel will be playing this as will Sir Toba Media's YouTube channel, where the struggle is real to be awesome, the Huddle Up YouTube channel um, with my guy, Big Jim Neese. Oh, yeah, throw some bing in there as well. A7BN Sports Facebook page, my Twitter account, my Twitch account, both the SOTG, all of the above. And, oh, by the way, if you don't check it out immediately, you could also go to all your favorite podcasting feeds and whatnot. Him being here tonight obviously means we're not going to go live on Friday at 11. Simply put, my dude's got talent, but he also needs sleep and will not be able to watch all that much film before
2: 11 a.m. I don't think that's... I appreciate funny.
0: it, man. Um, but, yeah, listen, we're talking film, we're talking stuff, we're talking Duval Dive. Hopefully, you'll be around to pick the rest of the NFL with me a bit later, um, but enough about that. Let's get into it, the Duval Dive portion of the show. Guess what? Bam! I even got the nice clothes. There we go. So with all that in mind, Travis, let's start here, man. Because you are an eye that doesn't necessarily fall into the storm, whether it's, you know, too high, too low, what have you. Yeah. I was surprised that the Colts came out throwing 11 of the first 16 to put points on the board to start the game. I, I, I want to say that first. I, I I appreciate Shane Steichen being like, they're going to attack the run. We just got Jonathan Taylor back. I'm going to throw the ball. Granted, it was early 2000s Patriots style with short passes to substitute a run game in such a fashion that nobody was. Did, come on. You did not have 11 passes on the first drive from Uncle Rico on your bingo card. You didn't, Travis. Don't lie.
2: I did not. I did not. But at the same time, I don't think. I don't think uh, the the OC and the head coach for the Colts had that on their bingo card. I think that they didn't ex- like. Uh, they didn't expect the Jaguars to play D in the way that they played D. And to Minshew's credit, he did what we originally talked about last week. He was an efficient getting the ball out, you know, making those five, seven yard throws and nickel and dimed his way down the field and did what he needed to do as a veteran quarterback. Problem is he's, he, he wasn't able to do that more than that first series. Right. Uh, as soon as he had to hold the ball more than three seconds, it was a problem, but a, a few people, uh, uh said, stated it last week and they showed it on the different videos, tweets, et cetera, on the socials. Uh, I know Nate Tice, uh, Brought it out. He basically discussed how no matter if the no matter if the Colts were in three wide receiver sets or four wide receiver sets, it didn't matter to the Jaguars. They played base defense every time to give them the numbers advantage and make sure the Colts wouldn't run the ball. And they did. The Colts did what they were supposed to do. They kept passing out of it because they just didn't have the numbers advantage. Mike Caldwell master class. He just said Minshew beat me, and he said, "No, I can't."
0: Yeah, it's I mean I feel like I feel like my, Mike Caldwell was like Jules from from Pulp Fiction. Oh god. I dare you! I double dare you, mother beep! <laughs> you know, over the top you know granted obviously not the perfect line it's a parody folks but you get the idea Nah, it uh, works i don't know how good mike caldwell would look in a in a in a, in a suit and a suit and shirt but i i would imagine it would be he wouldn't look right with the hair though the, the curl would mm-hmm. not work for
2: i can't imagine i can't imagine mike's mike talking like that i only see him with the pr and you know in the in the, in the media days and all the and, and he's and he's chiseled he's to the point he is never going to give you any meat uh to use that locker room talk so i i just, I can't see it, but I really wish I could.
0: But that's a funny image, though. I don't care what. Oh, yes. But <laughs> that aside, um, you know, them failing to have Uncle Rico, Vincent Vega, Gardening Minshew throw over the top was a big part of it. Four takeaways for the Jags currently leading the NFL. This team as a defensive unit um, is, I- I'm going to use the term kind of carrying what's going on. There have been. Um, unclean offensive goes. And I think the one time the defense had a bad game was the one they lost. And it was two key plays against tank Dell. Um, But, you know, listen, I I, I tried to warn people about the Texans. I put them at seven wins. It is what it is Um, back in all, no, late September. I I had said that on this show Um, and not just this show, but the student game pod as well, because it's the simulcast. I have to say that Um, Travis, you know, let's, we, we mentioned the defense here too and and let me go uh here you have uh you have i told you to pick two places you just love because the jags dominated like this i i don't know that 37 to 20 properly expresses the domination in question one could argue the foot was taken off the gas and that's oh, fine yeah. you know <clears throat> when you get that many turnovers you get some extra time on the field so you might be a little bit more gas than you'd like but um Listen, man, get right into it. I'm going to throw it up here on the screen right now. Okay. Uh, the strip sack by Josh Allen.
2: Absolutely. And this is this is made so much more amazing because these guys are in mass protection. They're in max protection with two receivers going out for routes. They don't expect to not have at least a full three seconds before this sack takes place. No one does. And he finds a way to bend the corner on Raymond. He finds a way to get the ball out from Minshew. I mean, he has time to read his only two reads and pump fake the ball, and the ball's on the ground. And it was a great disguise, also, FYI, by Cisco. I just uh, not Cisco. Uh, uh, Jenkins also. He just bailed, um, and bailed at the snap of the ball right into his third. That's what made Minshew pump fake the ball. Josh did the rest. Amen. First down. Jaguars touchdown. Later on the drive.
0: And I love Josh Allen taking over the work. You had mentioned the disguise being solid by the DBs. I'll take it back to my house. That tackle moved toward Josh Allen in his effort to, to get into his kickstep. And Josh yeah. Allen said, You don't, you don't bring that unclean trash in my house, and that's how he kind of managed to come around the back like that. And Minshew, in his defense, trusted that he had no idea he was there, and nor should he believe that he is, because, like you said, Max Protect. How the hell do I not have this much time to get rid of the ball? And and you know, Josh
2: Allen was like, surprise, mother beep, you know, and and took care of it. I, I, I really, you got three guys out on routes, and one of them was a chipping running back what? Yeah. <laughs> and you still get a second less than three and a half seconds? That's wild. That's a great play by Josh, but that's also, oof, boy. Sorry for I the mean, coach. That's,
0: that's that big a blunder by the tackle, but it's just that, 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 that forward motion. I feel like I, it wasn't a full lunge, mm-hmm. but you closed the gap and gave yourself less time to react to Josh Allen, who has long arms and is a speedy dude. Listen, I, I've stood next to him. I'm as tall as him, but his arms like, listen, I feel like a T-Rex standing next to him, my little team <laughs> stuff. Okay. You can't you can't look you can't move forward to Josh Allen. He will make you pay for it. We saw it there yeah. um, in that particular instance. Um, let's take it over to the offense, too. I, I gotta give a little credit to the tackle spot, the interior line for the mess that it's been, especially with Walker Little Hurt. Um, they've been banged up. Uh, Cam Robinson, I know he got criticized for his return in the London game where he was involved with the strip sack, and you had cited that the second one, you didn't really think that was his fault uh, right. in the Buffalo game, all that. Um, he and the young man Anton Harrison are doing pretty good at the tackle spot. John Shipley of the Jaguar Report has, has talked about that, and, and the more I, I look at stuff and think of it, he's really got me on board with that. Um, but in your mind offensively, what do you really think uh, shined of it. Oh, and we got Mickey coming in to say hi to you, too. What's going on? See, the, you got Mickey Delaney's a dude uh, from the Sertoba media side who comes in, comments a lot on Drew Willingham's stuff, um, and he supports the struggle being real to be awesome. Um, he also makes very sure that I have my stuff together because he told me earlier that he has to make sure that I stay in my lane. So you're protected, mm-hmm. Tavis Holmes. Anyways, um, you, Mickey. I, I say all that to say this. Um, what on the offense has you... As you buzz in, other than Trevor Lawrence um, standing in and making big plays on third down, as he's done lately. So late.
2: that so that was a fun. This was a fun game only because it's the second Colts games. This second game, second Colts game this season, where the offense did not play well. And we still blew the blew the other team out. And that's just wild to say we almost scored 40 points with with the very imperfect game. Um, And I think all the advanced stats kind of back that up, uh, whether it's the, you know, the actual advanced passing passer ratings, whether it's the PFF scores. I mean, you only had one guy with over at at over 80, uh, three guys over 70, like that is, all the stats are essentially stating that no one played incredible and they just still found a way to win because their defense was so dominant and the offense did just enough as far as the run game, as far as the tight end play. So if, from my perspective, I'm going with the tight ends. Like I felt like Brendan Strange and, and Evan Ingram both had very good games uh, with, in blocking. Like Evan Ingram also had the highlight one-handed grab, stick him, um, you know, uh, yeah, staring at his hand. I believe Baldy had a great breakdown of that one. Uh, yeah, so he they made their presence known in the passing game just enough. Uh, again, Brendan Strange nearly had two touchdowns on out of his three targets. One of them, I mean, you're you're a yard short, and I feel so bad for the young man. He got his first touchdown, and it could have been a two touchdown game. That hurts. Uh, and you know, again, he has his mentor over Evan Ingram over here, just showing out highlight reel uh, catches on the sideline. But yeah, they, they both did their thing and they did exactly what they had to do, showing up in the run game, showing up in the pass game. It was beautiful.
0: Well, speaking of talents doing things, you've segued very nicely to your offensive pick here, the Brandon Strange touchdown. So let's go into that. Uh-huh. And and listen, when I first watched this, I loved the, the design of the whole thing. You'll switch here to the other view. You see um that that strange will engage. I I when I first saw the overhead view i had no idea who was going to come out until the ball came out and then you see that little nick there Mm -hmm. and then right there just nobody even looks at him the linebacker doesn't look the deep safety's like why weren't you there covering him when he broke out like you could see at the end of the video here when we get there you know trevor finds him i mean ray charles could have found him and then after (laughs) strange celebrates they're like what's going on man why weren't you there you see the two of them talk to each other i I mean that's another pencil whip from our good friend Doug Peterson. And to maybe they thought it was a little bit strange.
2: That he out. That's more what? than a pencil whip. That was a whipping whip, like that. <laughs> that the old line. If you saw that pocket, I wish we could rewind it. If you could see, look at that pocket.
0: You just that, play it again there, Travis Holmes. That right? pocket
2: looks like the pocket when the when the Jaguars played against the Texans, and we had Chase on Russian. If you know which, the play I'm oh. talking about, oh. there is no oh. one close by, Trevor. Trevor is literally on his fourth reading. He is back there smoking a the Newport, drinking a you know, drinking a fort. Like he is just having a day look at this that's nobody by him he yeah. could have gone back to his first reading gone through all of his progressions again that is what made me love this play like even with a great two great defensive ends you have DeForest Buckner and they're not close that mm-hmm. is awesome that is a great series that is a great red zone possession that is a great touchdown
0: and listen great credit to the offensive line listen you heard me last week on the here on the Duval dive saying what I always say when it comes to the Colts if you neutralize DeForest Buckner your life will be easier they sure as heck did. Um, and by the way, silencing Jonathan Taylor, granted he did have a nice little 40 yard jaunt on a short pass, but that's bigger than anything he did running. What was it? Eight carries for 19 yards. Yeah. Ooh. Not a stellar day. And um, that's, that's above, It's just above a million dollars or just below a million dollars a yard for those that are keeping um, track. If you're taking his annual salary into this one game Honestly, and honestly, that's not fair. I'm making jokes, but Listen, I, I mean right now in the past two games um against both the Titans which granted it was his first game back I get it and against the Jaguars here who now after this game are averaging giving up only 75.1 or .3 something like that yards a game are just quite a juggernaut to try to run the football against but Travis
2: oh let me do you let me do you one better though because if, if you're only looking at the running backyards and not just look, not the added quarterback scrambles and things of that nature, the Jaguars are giving up less than 60 yards a game on look, the ground. Look at that. Right.
0: All of a sudden it's just impressive. And, 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 and yeah, I dare you, I double dare you to try to run the football, um, especially you Nall and saints. Now, now I, I, Thursday night game, it's a short week. Physics gets strange and all of that. Trevor's injury may be a factor, Um, They've taken Nathan Rourke, much to the joy of the Duval devout, um, off of the practice squad. He's going to be signed in as the third emergency quarterback in the event that both Trevor and C.J. Bathard um, are knocked out due to injury. Um, Rourke can go into the game. So that's that's the rules on his uh, being elevated in such that he is. But you hear me mention C.J. Bathard. That's because they're it, the the wording, they're confident. And I said this on um Mark Moses' show um on 1560 the fan AM in Melbourne. Um that he's I felt like talking to Trevor after the game, after the hit and all that, um, that he was confident that he was going to play, but you never really know in a short week. And that's still kind of where we're at, I feel like, even on Wednesday night. But he has been practicing limited, right, Travis?
2: right and then that's that's basically where we are now and, and i honestly feel like from my perspective it feels like he wants to play and if it's solely and if it's going to be solely his decision he's probably going to play yeah if there is ever a situation where he ends up not playing it's probably not because he can't play it's because the coaching staff's they just decided based on whatever the field conditions were before the game, based on uh, maybe how he was feeling when he woke up, maybe his stomach wasn't right. Like I'm just joking. But, you know, like whatever it is, or they just felt like, hey, man, this is not the best decision based on this, based on playing on this New Orleans AstroTurf. We'll hold him out this, you know, we, we can do this without. Sure. But I don't think it would be because he couldn't play.
0: Yeah, and, and listen, there's a protection element here, too. Like, I don't, for as much as, as the expectation or or hope, depending on who your point of view is, I know, like, listen, I, I still remember uh, my guy Shipley picking on this show, September 30th, 13 wins from the Jaguars. I, I wasn't prepared to do that. I've, I'm on record constantly saying I only picked 10 and still what would be them winning the division by a solid three games. And the Texans may even throw that off a little bit. Um, but the punchline being you still need Trevor Lawrence to, to complete that 10 game, that 10 win run. I feel like, and and right. now granted I had the Titans in a lot better straights than trying to rely on Malik Willis at quarterback and asking Derek Henry yet again to, to put the team on his back offensively. That's a whole other question, um, but let's keep it with the saints for me. Them actually running the football is less of a threat. Um, I listen. I respect Alvin Kamara, but not as an actual running back. I believe he's a slot receiver that lines up in the backfield. And people are like, "Oh, you talk a smack, Kale." No, that's just how they use him. Like, and and but you have to admit, Travis, you 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 tell me this. I feel like Kamara with that threat is far more dangerous against the Jaguars' defense. To be used in such a fashion, and they gotta watch for that, right?
2: Oh, absolutely! Like, if anything, that is the he, that is the true threat um, against this team because you're probably not going to run against them. You, you, you're just not. And Alvin Kamara also hasn't had that one huge rushing day um, that, like like you're used to seeing him in past years, at least uh, so far. And In time, maybe he'll get there. But nevertheless, he hasn't made it there yet. But he's had those days in which he's going to have, you know, 10 catches, eight catches, whatever it is. Like, he had one game. He had, what was it, 14 targets, maybe his first game of the season that he played. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, dude. So we know (laughs) he's going to be in space. He's going to get those opportunities. And like you just mentioned earlier, the Jaguars did give up that 40-plus yard You know, catch and run uh, to Jonathan Taylor just past this past week. We've given up a few of those this year already. So, if there is an area where there's maybe chips in the armor within this great defense, that might be the area. They're actually the Jaguars are actually giving up 40 yards per game, receiving exactly two running backs, specifically right now. That's 40.5. So, that's our average. So, to a passing, a receiving back like Kamara, that 40 could be. 55 60 already and that's that's a legitimate area that we should be concerned with
0: hey listen the one thing i will never do is refer to alvin kamara as the enterprise because to him space is not the final frontier anyways so shut up travis you thought it was funny anyway um with that in mind um you know how do you adjust for that defensively like because i i don't i'll put it this way if you're using um Trayvon Walker to squeeze the run, which has been successful to its own extent, obviously, you're using Josh Allen to attack. This means a linebacker's got to fill that gap. And if there's an air quotes weakness on this defense, I would put it at that core. Would I would you not?
2: Yeah. So I uh, that and that really is the problem. This is what it comes down to. What do you want to do on defense? Uh, because Mike Caldwell historically has been the guy in the first half. He's going to play, you know, a lot of that. Cover two man or uh base just basic cover three. Uh, so, either cover three, basic zone, uh, you know, have his rob- robber, strong safety, whatever you want to call him, crashing down, or he's going to play some, you know, cover two depending on the quarterback you're facing. But in the second half, he historically blitzes a lot. He plays a lot of cover one. And you aren't going to be able to do a lot of that unless you have the dogs, unless you have the matchup. And Alvin Kamara versus most linebackers is probably going to be a negative matchup for you mm-hmm. like um, so we're really going to be our our quote-unquote adjustment is going to be hoping and praying that Devin Lloyd ate his Wheaties that morning and that he has some great coverage because you get those wrong matchups maybe with uh Kamara on Aluakon or um you know someone along those lines and potentially Kamaro has that advantage and that's 15 yards, 20 yards, or even to the house. Um, so your matchups is, are, is truly just probably sitting back in zone and maybe doing a lot more zone blitzes, um, mm-hmm. which different variations, you know, there's a boat, there's a billion of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and that may be the route because at the end of the day, no matter what that decision is, whatever that adjustment is, it needs to involve blitzing because you're playing Derek Carr.
0: Or do you get fancy and every now and again, throw in, Maybe like a corner or safety spy on av- obvious passing situations with when Kamara's on the field, right?
2: I mean, no, absolutely. You have the option. Like even last week, he did on a few different occasions. You had uh, Thomas. Uh, goodness gracious, is it, is it Daniel Thomas? Uh, D. Thomas. Uh, you had number twenty for the Jaguars. You had Thomas on the field on a few different occasions. You even had Johnson on the field. Uh, mm. And I'm like, okay, so he's using the he's. And and the week before, he it was a few plays where he put uh Dewey Wingard on the field and took uh, Darius Williams off the field. Like, I've seen some great, interesting combinations where I'm like, okay, so we're doing some fancy stuff now, right now. Like, and so that is absolutely an option, depending on what the personnel is for the Saints, like whatever they have on the field. Uh, we might be able to bring certain packages in that's, th- hey, man, your job is to stick with this guy no matter where he goes. And that that can simply be the role. So I'm absolutely on board with that option if it's the cornerback spying or whoever else, but in this game, it probably wouldn't be the cornerback only because you don't have Campbell. So you're already playing with the backup and you don't want to give that backup too many additional responsibilities outside of playing coverage, which
0: by the way, you were absolutely correct. Daniel Thomas is who you're referring to. Okay. Um, By the way, just, I wanted you to go to bed happier with that. Uh, <laughs> but um with that in mind, um, yeah, I don't need to ask you for a score quite yet. Um, Let me ask you with this particular piece, if, if, I mean, we mentioned Kamara, we know that Marshawn Latimer is a good corner. Cam Jordan up front is, is an excellent pass rusher. Uh, What element of the Saints defense worries you the most?
2: The element of their defense that worries me the most is the fact that they can stop the run with just their front four. And like you already mentioned, you know, Cam Jordan, uh, you didn't mention, you know, Saunders there. Uh, right tackle, like the hey, fact he's
0: still good, <laughs> he did,
2: right? And well, Demario Davis is also questionable because he's that middle linebacker uh, that could actually benefit our tight ends significantly because he's not be able he's not able to ride that rail, um, and he's not able to just be this incredible guy who's scraping. Because I don't know as much about their backup, uh, Demarco Jackson, so the fact that he's questionable this week is a big thing. Uh, but I would absolutely say their running game, their their ability to stop the run, especially with the fact that. We know we have a limited quarterback, even if he's, like, he he may, hopefully he plays. And if he plays, he's at minimum going to be limited. At most, he's going to be not playing, and we're going to have C.J. Beathard show, which is going to probably lean on the running game. And the unfortunate part of that is the Jaguars are fourth at stopping the run. Cool. The Saints are seventh. <laughs> they're not a, sl- they're, they're, they're not a slouch either. Like the Jaguars are giving up just under, uh, and again, just under, uh, and I'm only talking about per game. Cause there's the stats are thrown off the bye weeks and things of that nature, but right. averages per game, two running backs, the saints are seventh, the Jaguars are fourth. Um, and both of them within 10 yards of each other, giving up per game. So we're still talking less than 70 yards a game, giving up to the running back position. So you're probably not running the ball against either of these teams. And that's what scares me, is the fact that we may need to, depending on how, how healthy Trevor truly is.
0: That being said, a sampling of their opponents, sir. The Titans was their opening game. The Panthers, the Packers, the Bucks, the Pats, and the Texans. We're not exactly seeing them stopping juggernauts here, uh, Travis. I, I have I mean, to throw this out there.
2: I, while I hear you, the Packers can run the ball. The Texans can run the ball. I'm not saying that they're just terrible and the Titans can run the ball. Like I'm not saying these are just dreadful bottom of the barrel teams as far as I don't even want to make it. I don't even want to name specific teams, but you know the ones I'm talking about. And what
0: I'm trying to tell you is the other 3 on that schedule aren't exactly world beaten I mean, the Saints beat the Pats 34 to nothing. Come on, bro. I How
2: do understand. My years? only my only point is if even if they're playing these dreadful teams, even if they're playing the worst teams in the world, they gave up 90 yards total rushing yard or total rushing yards to running backs for the Titans. They gave up you know, f- 59, yeah, 59 to the Panthers, 45 right. to the Packers, 72 to the Bucks. I mean, on and on, 45 to the Patriots. They gave up 103 to the Texans and that was on 26 carries. Like, you know what I mean? Like this is not no matter how you slice this, they are doing well as far as stopping the run and this might be their biggest challenge, but we also have our own offensive line injuries to worry about on top of the quarterback injuries we were just talking about
0: surely well and 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 this is this is kind of why I'm bringing up what I did right Devin Singletary and Damian Pierce and company were good for 120 yards rushing I got to give credit to D'Amico Ryans and his coaching staff for going that route and staying with the run game and 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 all of that, I, I think that needs to be accounted for. Now, granted, the other problem is the Texans don't have the same sort of receiver core. You would think that they would um, they would be going for you know to st- to attack with the run more often than they do, but they got the Stroud kid. Uh, you know, maybe the the Saints' um, defense is kind of spread thin in that way. To your point, I really think what'll make the difference is the protection. Uh, Travis Intien, I believe, will be challenged with that part of it as well as Evan Ingram. But what I see in front of me is if you want to try to get Ridley and and Latimer one-on-one, cool. Let's say successful all game. I don't think the Saints have the defense to lock up everybody in the air. And if, you know, so they can't exactly stack the box. Not that they would try to do that. But, and I don't think they have enough up front to just... Pin down Travis Intian, and oh by the way, this dude could leak out just like Kamara. I think there's so much balance offensively; it's going to be a challenge for the Saints, regardless of the running numbers. Especially when they have things that can attack, and 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 I have questions in their statistics. To your point, right, State, man? Listen, they they attacked, they attacked um, uh, the king himself, Derrick Henry, and respect to it, they only yes. won that by a single point. All that stuff. Now granted, that was kind of a weird game because that was an interception excuse, well yeah, interception but a turnover fest. Turnover fest that, yeah. that in itself has a whole lot of anomaly in it. Um
2: well, they, I mean, the Saints got the first turnover from C.J. Stroud. I mean, they fumbled it right back, but, <laughs> but 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 they did get it. And that was his first one of the season. And that's that he,
0: protection point I make,
2: though. Yeah. And he and he did not look comfortable in that game. And the, the fact that you stated that you don't think that they necessarily have all the dogs, essentially, essentially uh, to match up with this balance of an offense, I don't disagree with you. But they but have. I don't, but they, I don't know how much it matters if that defensive front is dominating our. And that's the question.
0: And I think we're on the page there. Like if 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 the Jags are are going to concentrate on anything, like I said, Evan Ingram's going to be asked to get involved. Travis Entian's going to be asked to protect. Mm-hmm. Um, not that he isn't now, but I I think there's just a little bit more spice and pepper on it. A facing this team, B short week, and C Trevor being limited mobile yep. league as well. Um, this is the one week I will say, Trevor, don't you dare run to pick up that first down. Um, cause I don't I think need- we're going
2: to, we're going to treat it like the chiefs game. That's exactly when we had an, when we had a hobbled Brandon Scherf and we had a, basically all three in the, in the middle, were all just super hobbled and everything else. And it was a lot of chipping and all, and you know, the tight end staying in, it's going to be a lot like that. And you saw how that game went. It was a low scoring affair
0: mm-hmm. with,
2: you know, a lot of three max, you know, generally around three receiver routes and that kind of that gives the edge to the defense unfortunately um when you only have the three receivers because then you just can roam and read his eyes or kind of do what you want to do is just to find find the action so that the chiefs end up having a good day that day and help the jaguars to nine points i do i do hope that that is not the case in this week
0: well you've cited low scoring being a thing tell me what you think the score is going to be there in nola on thursday night <sighs>
2: I I do believe the Jaguars will still walk out walk out of New Orleans with the victory, but I do believe it's going to be lower scoring. I don't even know what the over or under on is on this game so far, uh, but I'm going with a 20 to 17 Jaguars victory.
0: 20 to 17. Okay, yeah, no, I, I can't diss that. Um, I have it a little higher than that. Um, I, just because every time I thought it was low, here they come doing what they do, and then I had thought it would be a shootout. For the Bills and the and the Chiefs, and look what we got there, right? Yeah. Um. That all being said, I got thirty to twenty. Um. Jags. I think the Mm -hmm. difference actually comes down to the Trevor Lawrence's ability to protect the ball better than Derek Carr. I don't think Carr drives all that successfully. And with this defense doing what it does, even with the alleged lack of a pass rush, you know what team has two defensive backs in the eight way tie for first place with three interceptions? The Jacksonville Jaguars with Andre Cisco and Darius Williams. Your boy Rayshon has one too. Rayshon Slater did his part uh, on Sunday as well, getting a pick. So,
2: so you, so you still feel comfortable without uh, Campbell playing? Is I do. Buster Brown obviously is going to have to take that mantle for a good week and that receiving core for the Saints. You know, Chris Olave, uh, Rashid Shaheed, Mike Thomas, Alvin Kamara at the backfield, et cetera. Mm-hmm. They're no slouches. I just, I, how do you, I how do you feel about that?
0: I, I, I don't mean to imply they are, but I do think, like what you said with an injured Trevor, I think David Carr is just as susceptible to turn the ball over. And this okay. Jacks defense has played entirely too well to think that Josh Allen won't be a little dangerous. I mean, when Josh Allen says Josh Allen is scary, what's David Carr going to think? <laughs>
2: That's fair. Know. That's facts.
0: Um, This is normally the part where, well, you know what? Tell the people we can be found anyway, and then we'll get into picks after that, Travis.
2: Don't. You can find all of my writings covering the Jaguars at bitcatcountry.com where I'm a news contributor. You can find me here normally every Friday morning at 11 a.m., but obviously Thursday Thursday night football, go Jags. Uh, <laughs> you can find me on Tuesdays on uh, South Florida Tribune's Inside the Pigskin podcast. That's at 8 p.m. again on Tuesdays. And you can find me on all of your socials, Travis D. Holmes. Go Jazz, Duvall, like there's no tomorrow. Come on.
0: (laughs) Duvall for it all. That's what Travis Holmes says. There you go. Um, That's the best I could come up with from the hip. Deal with it. Anyways, it's the reason why we picked Thursday night the way we did first is so now we can pick the rest of the games for the evening. By the way, strongly recommend you not watch this game. The Raiders head over to Chicago to battle the Bears. Travis, who you got?
2: Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Raiders and the Bears. Do I have to pick somebody? Can they just tie and oh, flip a coin? Uh I guess we're going What's the Wait, it's the Raiders with the backup potentially the backup quarterback or even O'Connell playing. There you go. Oh. I'm still going I'm I'm going Raiders because the uh, we don't know if Justin Fields is going to play. He's probably not.
0: Taking the Raiders on the road, I'm inclined to do <sighs> the same Justin Fields Uh, being injured. Limited is one thing, out is a whole other. Either way, I too have Josh McDaniels and the Raiders on the road. Feels weird, but that's what I'm doing. The Browns battle Uncle Rico and the Indianapolis Colts. Travis, who you got?
2: Hey, man. That Browns defense is something serious. And that's saying something after he just got done getting mollywhopped by the Jaguars. They may not have to score 10 points, man. Uh, I'm going Browns.
0: I, too, have the Browns. That defense is serious, and I felt that way before that Niners game. I knew it would be close. I didn't know that three of the top players would be hurt and the refs would be involved. Nonetheless, Fair. I see the Browns winning that game. How on earth the spread got to seven and Browns-Niners? I don't know. A lot of people who don't know better apparently bet a particular way. Bills, Patriots. Okay, we don't have to pick that one. Yeah. Um,
2: no. <laughs> the Reds- I mean, it's, a, it's always a chance, but no.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> One time. This isn't the Little Giants, okay? Speaking of the Giants, the Red Tails, sorry. Commanders head to East Rutherford to battle the New York Giants without Daniel Jones. Um, Travis, who you got? Well, is it without Daniel Jones?
2: I thought he practiced on a limited basis today.
0: I, I, well, hey, listen, it should be without Daniel Jones.
2: I, I don't know. That,
0: no, I didn't see if he was limited. I didn't see that he practiced today, so that could change it all. Whatever. Interesting. I, you know,
2: no, that, that's that's an interesting one. Uh, because if I'm being if I'm keeping it real with you, because Daniel has not played the greatest this year. Um, <laughs> I don't think I don't I don't think I'm being you know crazy saying that, but I actually do have belief in him against this defense. If Daniel Jones plays, I actually have the Giants winning that game.
0: See, here's here's the thing I'm gonna go with. And 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 I don't uh, listen. Nobody wants to pick this game. Probably pick the un bet the under if you're that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna side with Eric Bieniemy on this one as the not coach of the year in 2022 um gives up the game at home to the Red Tails. I have the commanders. Um, the Falcons and the Bucks. Travis Holmes, who you got?
2: Oh, let's let's go, Baker. Come on. Uh Bucks all day.
0: I like that you're supporting Baker. For me, it's about the fact that it's not Desmond Ritter. I, too, have the
2: bucks. It just sounded better to say, let's go, Baker. I don't don't actually believe it.
0: See, listen, here's my own. Yeah, first of all, it was far more rhythmic. A, it gave me the opportunity to continue to be critical of Desmond (laughs) Ritter. And I'm with you though. If we find out that Taylor Heineke's starting that game, immediately change my change
2: my picks. Yeah, Falcons. we talked about that weeks ago. i the, the week that he comes in. I am betting on the Falcons all day. I, I think he is so much of an upgrade over Ritter, and I don't understand how they don't see it.
0: Well, I just, I just, I just work here, Travis. The Detroit Lions and Madden Campbell head over to Baltimore to battle Lamar Demetrius Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens Travis who you got
2: this is a hard one brother it is. this is a it hard is. one cuz uh, if the if the Ravens play the game that they played last week they're going to win this game but
0: if they play the game they played the week before, they will bingo,
2: won't. <laughs> bingo, and they're it look, they've been a little bit more inconsistent than previous years. Whereas the Lions have actually been way more consistent. Jared Goff, over the last seventeen games is thirteen and four, and man's looking like a. If you were to put that into a season, that's an MVP candidate for sure. Like Isn't
0: it weird I, to hear that. I just I'm still not. I can't figure <sighs> it out, buddy.
2: I got a lot of a lot of Lions fans in my life, man, and they they making sure I don't forget it. So, hey, good. On with, I'm with glad that said. Enjoy. Yeah, with that said, I'm, I'm probably going to have to go with the Lions. I don't feel nothing about this game feels good. I would not bet my mortgage, but yeah, I am. I'm probably in the Lions.
0: Travis, listen, friends don't let friends drink alone and friends don't let friends pick Detroit alone. As mm-hmm. Regardless of how good I feel about the Baltimore Ravens, at the end of the day, it's about my kneecaps not getting bit. Mm-hmm. I, too, have the Detroit Lions. The Steelers head over to SoFi Stadium in L.A. to battle the Rams. Travis, who you got?
2: I'm going Rams. And again, I don't like it. I I don't bet against Mike Tomlin. Like I don't bet against uh, Mike Babrell. They're just the, the two Mikes, bright, bright Mike and Mike, Mike and whatever. Like <laughs> brother, it, it's, it's a problem, but yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to say, yeah, I, I'm going to go Rams just because they are playing really good football, uh, really efficient, really d- disciplined football. And that's, I got to lean there because the Steelers aren't necessarily doing that
0: no hey listen I can't blame you I'm always afraid to pick against Omar Epps myself Mm. and with that in mind um (laughs) let me help you you mentioned all the right things I'll add one more Aaron Charles Donald versus Kenny Pickett I have the Rams Mm. Cardinals Seahawks Travis who you got
2: yeah, we go we go on Seahawks, but then they they do always play. Uh, uh, the the Cardinals always play the Seahawks rough, and it's always this funky, little weird looking game like that ends up being
0: enough. Show my guy, let me. tell Yeah, you.
2: seventeen to fourteen is some little ugly score that you just don't expect. But no, I I think it will be closer than most people probably believe. But I do think the Seahawks will end up winning it
0: a three point difference. Don't be so dramatic. It'll be 14, 10. It'll be a four point difference. <laughs> I have the Seahawks and Gino and company doing the thing. Um, The, the Packers and the Bronco. We
2: don't have to pick that game. Uh, the, the Spanky, What's that? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Cause again, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Matt, I'm a Matt LaFleur guy. Like,
0: okay. We, we could do the pack in the Broncos.
2: And I'm and I'm going to actually say the pack. I don't – and that's because nothing – that's that's because nothing I've seen on film of their, their offense actually looks very stagnant right now. And that's not talking about the picks. That's actually talking about the scheme that they're running. I think it's a little bit weird, and I'm hoping that LaFleur can kind of figure it out as the season, season goes on. But you're still playing against the Broncos, and they, ha- they don't have an answer on offense. They don't have an identity right now.
0: Yeah, the most disappointing part of the team – that's not involving a fiscal contract of huge proportions like Russell Carrington Wilson's is the defense. And I think Jordan love, I don't love Jordan as a starter, but I do appreciate that the fact there'll be enough balance against an underperforming defense to win the football game. Um, Yeah. I I got the Packers. See, this is why I wanted to skip that. Anyway, (laughs) anyways, um, let me go chargers and the Kansas city chiefs in arrowhead. Travis, who you got?
2: Another one of those games, like I was just mentioning um, with the Cardinals and the Seahawks, it's another yes. one of those teams that just always plays. They the always play game? each other very well, very close, very exciting games in the end. And I have no reason to believe the Chargers will win it. Yeah, and that's, it. and that's exactly why I think they'll win it, just because they, they play best a lot like the Jaguars. And whenever they're in a game that they just should not win that's when they play up to the competition. And that's when they give every the cardiac cats come to life. Um And the chargers in that way are very, <laughs> they're very chargery. Um, they're, go, they're going, <laughs> they're going to bungle when they should win and they're going to win when they shouldn't. And that's literally my only way, because they, they are a really solid team. They've been playing games well, and then they just get to the end and they just, and they just, and they just drop the ball on the ground and they just bungle it. And I believe that's, After all that being said and done, I think they'll still beat the Chiefs just because they shouldn't.
0: That is actually a fascinating response. You're going with the football gods. But you know what, Travis Holmes? If you end up being right – I'll take all the texts and the I told you so's and the whatever because you, sir, are a braver man than I. I have Patrick LeVon Mahomes II, but not because of Patrick LeVon Mahomes II. You know the matchup? I think that's the real difference maker here. Andy Reid versus Coach Staley. He's terrible. Mm. He's proven it time again. A defensive coach whose defense sucks. Help me with that. Can you? I don't think so. uh, 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 McCrory Hartman comes back into town. They got him back in a recent trade. Maybe he plays this weekend. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. And by the way, it's in Arrowhead. Every ten intangible, I feel like, at the moment, goes to the Chiefs on this one. And I don't know, Travis, Michael, Kelsey's status. I don't need to. I have the Chiefs.
2: That's Um, funny. We talked about this a few weeks ago, though. Like, that's one of the few things that I actually disagree with you on, because the Chiefs, all the data, all the stats say that the Chiefs in nearly every objective category play better on the road than they do at home. I know. So I'm, I am I lean I lean towards if they're at home, mm, that's a disadvantage for the Chiefs. That's when they're more likely to lose. It's the weirdest thing
0: eh, against teams that that have proper coaching and head on their shoulders. I would agree. Yes. With you.
2: Against that's- proper NFL teams. Yes, that's that's true
0: and and you see it's I, I would well i don't want to give too much away because in two weeks i do have my midseason awards with mikey Byrne, mm. but they're a consideration for biggest disappointment i don't know that i've checked my box there yet <laughs> let's go to monday night because i don't want to the monday night game to be my final pick the san francisco 49ers chased off after getting depending on who you ask not necessarily me uh feeling like they got ripped in the game against the browns head over to the twin cities to battle the vikings do we have to pick this game travis
2: i really hope not
0: okay yeah. in that case we'll take the niners on that one let's move over to a game i find intriguing the dolphins head over to the link and philly to battle the eagles travis
2: that's it this is an exciting game two nearly undefeated teams <laughs> i mean i don't know how you want to look at it but whatever two very ex- uh-huh. yeah yeah two very exciting teams who just have had that one rough game well i take that back that's not even true there, there's the, the dolphins have looked great in every game but the one and even then they still look above average team they just ran into a butt saw <laughs> whereas the, whereas the eagles they have actually like limped and struggled their way you know they they used duct tape and you know super glue and whatever else and they just figured out a way to make that an undefeated season until last week and the Jets kind of came and ruined the party. Uh in this one, I'm probably going Miami because that Philadelphia Eagles defense is not what it was in 2022. And no one's really shown the ability to shut that offense for the Dolphins down. They just slowed it down and you know to a 20-point uh loss, which is still crazy because they still scored 20 points. Uh <laughs> <laughs> even in the game that someone did well against them. So yeah, this this is an interesting one.
0: You know, and it's not so much the fact that the, uh, excuse me, the Dolphins were slowed by a defense as much as their lack of defense allowed a good offense to flourish. Here's the thing. And Travis, there's no getting around it at this point. Shane Steichen and the defensive coordinator for last year are both missing and it shows, right? So Steichen with Indianapolis, and the the Cardinals outperforming on the strength of the fact of having a former Super Bowl winning coordinator as a head coach. Now, mm-hmm. listen, at, at the end of the week, at the end of the day, my guy, um, I have to match you for now just because I like Mike McDaniel that much. Remember, you can't say McDaniel's; that's Josh McDaniel's, and the S's for sucks. Um, with that in mind, real quick thing, um, Mickey came in; he did not appreciate you picking. The Giants, he thinks you're on the weed. He wants you to stay in your lane. You should have picked the red tail. Huh?
2: Hey, man, if, if if I was or was not, it, hey, that don't mean I'm wrong.
0: Afro <laughs> <laughs> man still make good points in this song. <laughs> high as hell. That's a great point, Travis Holmes. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Oh, I I never thought I'd see the day. Quote me. Wait, mark this. What is it? One twenty nine fifteen. Afro man as a philosopher of wisdom. Sure,
2: hey, there is you high go. As
0: F, but he says nothing inaccurate in the song.
2: There you go.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. You know what? That that's a great note to end it out on here. Um, you know, as as I give all my as I give all my credentials as I do with the end of the episode, I'll do Travis a favor. I'm oh, the game you can find me on twitter the sotg find me on instagram as the same on the the sotg find me on threads the sotg and also find me on facebook as the student of the game check out my writing with the jaguar report the three-point conversion both jaguars pieces obviously check out my work with the black and gold banneret the ucf knights on saturday face oklahoma and their former quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, I will be writing my weekly edition of Night Class to talk about that performance where I grade them out and see how they do for the week. And then also post-game, the live reaction show Night Shift comes out there to Check that out on the Black and Gold Banner YouTube channel and various other places. So there's all of that as well. Plus, normally on Fridays at 11 a.m. you see the Duval Dive. This is the simulcast this week, so we won't have that. But we will be back doing our thing the following friday leading into that contest travis we need to be thinking about what we're going to do for the bye week too that'll be coming up there um sooner than later in november so that'll be fun and yeah we'll be previewing we'll we'll be we'll be kind of wrapping up the saints game uh next friday not the coming friday but the following and of course, talking about the Jags heading over to the Steelers for the Halloween
2: game, and, and have you told the people about the simulcast? Have, have you have you have you have you invited the people to the you know to to the to the live viewing?
0: No, you're well. You're somewhere else. See, you're talking about the watch along that'll take yeah. place tomorrow night on pro, uh, pro the pro sports fans app. Um, so that'll be fun. Check that out. The latest thing I've been doing is doing the media cast. If you go in there now. In the NFL Central chat, you'll see the AFC South Roundtable where I represent the uh, the uh, Jaguars, of course. Um, they still don't know I'm a 49er fan yet. That's a them problem. <laughs> um, but, yeah, with all that in mind, by the way, that is excellent service I see you getting there uh, from your support team. That's fantastic stuff. But with all that in mind, of course, thanks to Matt Marchell for coming in talking some college football with me thanks to mickey delaney checking in in the comments keeping me and travis honest thank you of course to my good friend the champion himself travis holmes of big cat country oh by the way matt marshall with the orlando sentinel i think it's her that yes, i'm there sir. and thank you to all of the above for contributing to an awesome show for the night but until next time everyone class dismissed